Let's say you said, oh, I saw LeBron James the other day. I saw LeBron James the other day. I would look at Quincy and say, Cap. (laughs) Cap? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sitting in our studio here in New York with three high school seniors, Mason, Quincy, and Molly. They're teaching me the latest teen lingo, starting with the word cap. It's similar to like gas or like you're gassing. Yeah. When like I usually see that used when like you're hyping someone up. Yeah. When you're like, yo, like that fits dope. And they're like, you're gassing. Yeah, you're gassing. (laughs) I love that the first impulse these kids had was to explain lingo by using more lingo. And that just means like you're lying. Ah, yes. Lying. I know that one. Like what you're saying is just like out of the picture. There's no way it happened. Don't ever say it again. Right. Then when you say no cap, that's like truth. Like that's yeah. straight up. Like no right. cap. And like black, wavy, word. Uh, groovy is coming back in my tongue for some reason. <laughs> Wait, I don't know. Wavy. <laughs> wavy is like the opposite of whack. Okay. It's, yeah. It's good. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. And we are back with another round of parenting advice from teens. We're opening our phone lines and taking questions from parents. Any question goes. We ask these teens to weigh in because, let's face it, you and me, we're aging. It's getting harder and harder to see things from our kids' perspective. But teens, they straddle that line between childhood and adulthood. They can help you see inside your kid's brain. And we hope offer you advice you can use. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or whatever grown-up drink you like and hang out with us. It's going to be wavy. Okay, so me and the teens were sitting here waiting for calls to come in. And if you heard our first teen advice show about a year ago, you will recognize two voices. First, over here on my left is Molly. She's from Montclair, New Jersey. And um, Molly, last time we talked to you, you were really into lighting design, like for theater. Are you still into that? Yes, I am looking into colleges that offer great lighting design programs, and I'm about to design my seventh show so far. Side note, Molly is the daughter of Anne from our very first episode. We've also got Quincy here sitting right in front of me. He is returning from last time, too. Quincy is from Harlem. And Quincy, what are you up to these days? Um, I play a lot of sports nowadays. I box, play basketball. I took a photography a lot since the last time I was here. So I go around New York parks, um, piers, and everything, and just take photos of what I see. And then over to my right, we have Mason. Mason's our new panelist. Recently, I've been studying more of the human anatomy, really getting my medical terminology down pat, because I want to be a physical therapist when I'm older and just spending more time with family. Mason, and, and when we invited you to join the panel, you sent us your resume, even though we didn't ask you to do that, which I thought was a very pro move. Um, and I noticed that up at the top, um, under professional experience, you listed childcare provider. He's my nephew, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, when my sister's off at work, I go and watch him. And it's really taught me a lot, you know, how humans at young ages, babies, how they react to different things. If you raise your voice, they are taking that in. And I'm like, okay, I can't do this. 
Or if you speak gentle to them, they're like, oh, maybe I can get away with this. Are there any ways that you've tricked him into doing what you need him to do? Yeah. Like what? So brushing his teeth, right? So I go, I act like I'm brushing my own teeth and he likes to eat. He likes food. And every time he eats, he goes, yummy. So I pretend like I'm brushing my teeth and I go, yummy. And he say, <laughs> I want some. <laughs> and he starts to brush his teeth. So that's my trick to get nice. him to do it. You know? That's a good one. Looks like we have a caller. Lauren, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Where are you calling from? I am calling from Roland Park, Kansas. What is your question for the teenagers? My question is, when do you think kids should be getting a cell phone in this day and age? And then what rules do you think I should have around social media when they first get a phone? I got my first cell phone when I went into sixth grade because I started walking to school. But I didn't get a smartphone I got, like, a sliding phone, so I didn't get social media until I was in, like, 7th or 8th grade. But I think that was the right move for my parents to do. Were you upset about it at the time? At the time, yeah. But looking back now, social media can be, like, it can hurt kids. And, like, I think it's important to have that emotional maturity. Because, like, I have friends now who, like, put themselves on social media cleanses because they realize how it's affecting their self-esteem. I got my first cell phone in fifth grade, and it was more of a safety thing because it was like, okay, you now have to go to school and home by yourself. So it wasn't for any social media. It wasn't for texting friends. No, it was to contact mom and dad. What was your commute to school like? I had to take a bus. Mm -hmm. Take a bus. And it wasn't like I had to walk far, but here you are, you're in fifth grade. And you're taking the bus by yourself. And I was short, too. So, you know. But I didn't get my first smartphone until seventh grade. And like Molly, I was mad. I was like, come on, let me get a smartphone. But I now see why. Because my thing is, if you're going to get the child a smartphone, first you have to see how they're going to treat the non-smartphone. Okay, are they going to take care of it? Is it going to have any cracks? Are they going to lose it? Because if they're going to do that with that phone, of course they're going to do it with the smartphone. And in terms of social media, I think it should be a thing of teaching the kid, okay, this is how you have to present yourself on social media. Because when you start applying to colleges, they will look you up on social media to see how you're presenting yourself. And I see social media, to me, as just branding. It's yourself. You're showing others who you are. So don't become reckless with it and start posting inappropriate things. I mean, do you even think you can trust a 7th or 8th grader to do that? No. No, you can't. So I would say at least ninth grade. Quincy? Um, well, I was different. My first phone was actually like a smartphone. It was an Android smartphone. And I was in the 5th grade. And like we, were, we weren't reckless in like what we were posting. And I think that like it helped me to be like on social media I haven't had to deal with, like, negativity or, like, people coming at me for what I'm posting, like, ever since, like, a small age. And, like, today, most of what I post is, like, motivational quotes or what I feel. And people may have, like, opinions of it, but I don't, like, have, like, the social media attack of, like, somebody constantly digging at me for everything I do. You're not getting trolled. Yeah, I'm not getting trolled. So what age do you think? I say eighth grade because that's when, like, you make the most mistakes, but you're smart enough to understand why. 
So you have a bunch of time later to make up for it. Lauren, is this is this helpful? Very helpful. And you guys all sound mature beyond your years. <laughs> <laughs> Make me feel like teenagers are much more capable of having cell phones than I ever thought. Lauren, how many kids do you have? So I have one, and I, he is not yet anywhere close to cell phone age. How old is your kid? 16 months. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized in 10 years, it'll be a completely different ball game. But I think it's so interesting even now how people are handling it. So I just thought it would be very interesting to get your guys' opinions. What age were you thinking? Seventh or eighth sounds about right to me. Like I was in ninth grade, gosh, 20 years ago when I got my first phone and it felt about the right time then, but there wasn't even texting. (laughs) So it's crazy to think how much it's changed. Social media still scares the crap out of me, though. Some interesting points that you guys had. Well, thanks, Lauren. Thank you. Take care. Bye. We have another person calling. (laughs) Mary, are you there? Yeah. Hi, I'm here. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Australia, from Sydney. Australia. What time is it there? It's in the future. It's nine o'clock on Friday in the morning. (laughs) It is Thursday night here. (laughs) What is your question? What social media platforms are teens hiding on now? I know that Facebook is no good because all the parents are on it and Instagram and Twitter is the same. I don't know if Snapchat's still a thing, and I'm hearing something about something called TikTok. I just want to know where my little brother's hiding so I can go and see stuff. Check the Snapchat. <laughs> Check the Snapchat. <laughs> TikTok is on is on the rise. Is that the one with the Visco girls? And talk about Visco girls. Visco is an, a photo editing app where yeah. you can like change elements of your photos to just like fix up like the lighting and stuff and like the tones used. And then Visco Girls is like this like brand of girl that like they carry a hydro flask. They have like a metal straw. <laughs> yeah. They like wear scrunchies on their wrists. They wear big t-shirts and like athletic shorts. They have their hair always in a messy bun. They're always talking about saving the turtles. And yeah. they're always like, and I oop is one of the things that they say. Is They say, and I oop. And there's also SK, SK, SK is like These are real people? There are some people who are like that. Yeah. They're like known and people like make fun of them. So like that's what's popular for us. But also TikTok is really popular. Tell me about TikTok. TikTok is like short videos that can range from like 15 to 60 seconds. And there's like songs or like popular sounds on TikTok that people make videos too, and it's they they're all over the place. They're, yeah. And then do they stay one. or do they disappear? They stay. They say people get TikTok famous. There's a girl in my school who's TikTok famous because she does TikToks with her mom, and like Whoa. that's how she got famous. It's just like her mom standing there reacting to her doing stuff. <laughs> Instagram for some reason I see a lot of people on Instagram again. It's not the platform itself. It's mostly the DMs. Okay. What's popular around like my friends and the people that I know is like. You know, you have, like, a main account, but then you have a Finsta, yeah. which is, like, your fake Insta. Yeah. And then we also have a Binsta, which is, like, your best friend Insta or your bitch Insta. It's, like, a private account where you just, like, post weird pictures of you or your friends or just, like, posts that you find funny. Mary, is this good information? Yeah, I feel like I'm uh, I'm learning a lot, and uh, I feel like my brother probably isn't going to let me on his real Instagram, but at least I can— <laughs> Talk to him about the medium. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 
We'll be back very soon with more calls and more answers. Stay with us. We are back with Molly, Quincy, and Mason. And we have another caller on the line named Sarah from upstate New York. Hi, guys. Um, I have two questions. One is um, coming from the perspective of I work in a high school, and I wanted to know how common is vaping in your teenage peer group? Very common. And I wish that it stops because I literally know people who are addicted to this. I know people that actually use the bathroom and they're not using the bathroom. They're going to the bathroom so that they could vape. What would you say, like out of 10 people, how many are using, are vaping? I would say at least three to four. Most people I know do it. So my number is higher, seven out of 10. So I would say it's like eight or nine out of 10 for me. Um, my school, it's a big school, but it's still like a suburb. Like we have 2,700 students, but everyone knows each other. And like everyone does the same stuff. And it's like if one person has like a jewel or something or a vape, everyone knows and everyone's like, can I hit it? And like, that's just how it goes. And like I had a friend this summer from Boston who like had the shakes and like was laying on the ground, vomiting, shaking because he didn't have nicotine one day, which is like he's 16 and he's having withdrawal like that. It's just, it's terrible. Does anyone here vape? No. 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 Sarah, what are you thinking listening to this? So I work in a small high school, but we just put up even today, like in the bathroom posters to, you know, sort of bringing awareness to the problem of vaping. And and I, I wonder like how how many of us are honest with, like, with the actual problem of, of what we're doing. So I appreciate the honesty of these kids to, to tell, like, how many of their friends they know it that are doing it. Who are we hearing in the background? My youngest. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's, it's perfect for this show. Uh, how, how old is your kid? I have three children. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and this is my two-year-old. Oh. <laughs> and it's bedtime. Um, the other question I I did have one other question yeah go for it stick a pacifier in your mouth so she'll be quiet right. (laughs) the other question I had was about um, sex ed how well prepared do you feel to engage in sex and how did you get that way like, do you, if you feel like I'm pretty well equipped in this area, did you get education in school? Did your friends teach you, or did you learn in other ways? I, my family is a part of the Unitarian Universalist congregation in my town. Unitarian Universalism is a quote-unquote religion based around just the concept that people are deserving of respect and love and. You know, there's there's no bias based on anything, including belief. You can believe in whatever you want. And part of that is growing up in religious education is we have a curriculum called OWL or Our Whole Lives, which goes from uh, like first grade till eighth grade. And then there's also an adult version where... Um, baby. <laughs> baby. Sorry. <Were> you? <laughs> That's where babies come from, right? <laughs> 
where you learn about, you know, the human body and you kind of have like this health, this like sex ed class in stages in what's appropriate and what kids should know at that time. So it's like you start with just learning about like what parts of the body are. And then in like fourth and fifth grade, you kind of get a deeper like what they do. And then in eighth grade is when you get the full on sex ed class. And our teacher was very dedicated to making sure her students knew how to put on a condom very specifically and gave us all styrofoam penises to put condoms on. And they a lot of them had bite marks on them, which was weird. <laughs> but um, she like made sure we knew how to do it, made sure that we knew we had to ask for consent first and just like... She was very dedicated. The other health teachers are not as dedicated. I'm pretty comfortable in sex education. It doesn't like phase me. My school tried to teach me, but it wasn't uh, like I didn't feel comfortable at that point. So, like, just other ways taught me, like the people I hang out with, like consent, making sure like whoever you're doing it with, they're comfortable with it. You're comfortable with it. Who talked to you about consent? It was one of my friends. We were having a conversation. And, like, I knew what consent was, but, like, I didn't really understand the basis of it. You want to make sure they're comfortable in that situation because this is their own experience, too, and it can, like, make or break them or mess them up in a way. My parents were the first in law, I say, line of defense, right? They told me, they were like, look, you know, if you're going to do this, make sure you just don't give yourself up to anyone, you know, because you have to have respect for yourself, you know? And then make sure you're using a condom because you are young and you don't have a job. You, know, you don't even have a high school diploma, <laughs> you know. And it was the same thing. Yeah, have consent because you just, sex is not a one-way thing. Do you see other kids around you not having the same maturity that you do around consent? Yeah. Yes. I haven't really had the sex talk with my seven-year-old yet, but it sounds like I still have a few years before I, I need to cross that bridge. Yeah, I feel like everyone should have a sex talk with a two-year-old shouting in the background. <laughs> yeah, I've taken away from this. Saying things like, saying things like naked, naked. <laughs> perfect, perfect timing. <laughs> well, Sarah, thanks for calling. Thanks for having me. So Molly, since we're on this topic, we live in the same town. Yes. And I've heard that there is a middle school in our town where the majority of kids identify as queer in one way or another. Like maybe they don't identify as gay, but maybe they identify as like bisexual or pansexual or trans. Have you heard about this? I have not. No. Okay. It's like there's, I think there are a lot more young people identifying as queer because it's becoming more accepted now and it's a lot more common than people think it is. And also, like, in middle schools, people are just, like, they're figuring out their identity and they're hearing about all of these identities and they're like, maybe that's me. And they're trying it on for size and maybe it'll work, maybe it'll stick, maybe it won't. But it's still nice to have that space to, like, you know, try something out. I, my, myself, and I have a lot of friends who had identified with something in middle school that don't identify with it now. And it's just... What's something you identified with in middle school that you don't anymore? In middle school, I identified as asexual which I think is really funny because I was just 12. But, like, my friends, I would tell my friends, and they'd be like, what? No, but, like, because I had a boyfriend at the time. They were like, what? No, but, like, you you have to have, like, babies with your boyfriend. And I was like, don't want that. <laughs> just don't want it. And, like, all my friends, I think, were, like, trying to hype up, like, you know, oh, my God, this guy is so hot. Like, 
this is this person's so hot this girl is so hot and I was just like I'm 12 <laughs> and like I have friends who identified as non-binary back then that don't anymore and like people that you know identified as cis back then and don't anymore and it just you know things change as you grow up we have a caller on the line <laughs> Omaya oh, are you there I am here and where are you calling from I'm calling from Phoenix, Arizona. Hi, Molly, Quincy, and Mason. I wanted to know what parents can do to strengthen and maintain their relationship with their teenage children. So as a teenager, you just have to be like open open with us and just try to be as honest as possible. Okay. My thing is children see their parents as almost perfect. And I feel like if you sit down with with your child... When your child makes a mistake, don't automatically just yell at them, you know, because you've also made mistakes when you were a teenager, right? Talk to your child about the mistakes that you made because now they're like, oh, mom and dad that I've seen as perfect, they make mistakes too. And oh, they made the same mistake as me. And then your kid is most likely going to say, well, how did you overcome this? What was your solution? So if you do that rather than yelling and you actually try to relate with your child in a way, saying, yeah, I made this mistake too, but this is how I solved it, or this is how I changed after this mistake, then your child will see you differently, and then they will come to you more often. Because that's that's one of the main reasons why kids don't go to their parents, because they're scared, oh, I'm, I'm going to get yelled at. What mistakes have your parents told you about? One thing that always stood with me was with my dad. So before, I never liked school. I did not do my work at all. I was always in the advanced classes. I don't know how, but I never did my work. I did poorly on test. And my dad sat me down one day and he was like, Mason, I was in your same shoes. I was in advanced classes. I was capable of doing the work, but I just didn't do it. And I regret that. So from that day on, I said, okay. I didn't automatically start doing my work because that automatic switch That's like in a different dimension, you know, Mm -hmm. but I started thinking more and I was like, you know, he's right. I'm capable of doing the work. Why am I not doing it? I don't want to be in his shoes too, saying that he regrets it, you know? It's like putting yourself, kind of letting your teenager know that you're on the same, like you, you're not really above them. Like we're all just people We're all just people. And one thing that my mom does that I, I just think is funny and like, is, like, she tells me about how much she loves Paul Rudd and, like, Chris Jackson and that how they're her, like, fake boyfriends and who all of her celebrity crushes are. <laughs> and then she texted me yesterday, and my friend read it out while I was driving, and it said, Watching the new episode of Queer Eye with the wheelchair guy, he is my new fake boyfriend. <laughs> and it's just, like, that kind of thing to get, like, a text from your mom that just sounds like the type of thing that you would get from a friend. It's just, like, it's, like, it enhances that trust between you and your parents. I asked because I'm a new mom to a five-month-old, and I look at him now, and I just want to make sure that I can, you know, always connect with him. It's it's something I really want to plan for in the future. And all this honesty that all three of you talked about, and you know, being real people with your children, is totally something that I can aim for. So I really appreciate your perspective. More Wise Beyond Their Years perspectives coming right up in just a minute. Don't go away. Can you say advertisements? Yeah, no, Ha <laughs> <laughs>
We're back with our lovely teens, Molly, Quincy, and Mason. And on the line, we have someone waiting. It's Laura from Minnesota. So my question is about mumble rap. Like, why is it so appealing to teenagers? And why has it become, like, so popular enough where they have it on the radio? I just don't get, like, what's the attractive part of it. Like, it's so repetitive and really not creative, like... The lyrics aren't creative. The beats is like the same beat for mostly every song. So, yeah. It slaps. (laughs) (laughs) So with the lyrics not being creative and the beat um, being repetitive, like Molly said, like it slaps, like the music is good. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and you listen to a song. Sometimes you don't want to listen to the lyrics. You just want to hear that beat. Like some beat that gives you that uplifting feeling or that sad feeling like that that wants to be in your emotions. And with music, it's mostly like the music that's behind the lyrics. If it touches you spiritually, that's what we're looking for. With me, it's the thing of that beat. As there's <laughs> this, um, I realize with myself, right? When I'm listening to a song, I don't fully understand the meaning behind the lyrics until like, the 10th time I listened to the song. And I'm like, oh, this is what they were trying to say. And my thing is I feel like no matter like what generation you come from, you're always going to have a critique about the music. Like, So Quincy and I, we listen to a lot of old school music. And there's this old group called The Temptations. And The Temptations have a song called Papa Was a Rolling Stone. And I think that song was like how 11 long? minutes. 11 minutes. And three minutes into the song is just the intro. And then they repeat the same thing about how Papa was a Rolling Stone. And I got it in the first like half of the song, how Papa was a Rolling Stone. So I'm like, well, that was repetitive. It's a good song, but a lot of things are repetitive, especially that song. You know, I, I feel like um, as I get older... I feel afraid to say that I don't get music of a younger generation because it's just going to age me so much. Do you, I think, I think it, my sister said to me. <laughs> were, were you scared to ask this question? <laughs> She's like, you sound so old. And I'm like, no, but that's not what I'm trying to say. But yeah. Well, Laura, thanks for calling. Yeah, thank you so much. Take care. You too. Bye. Um, so we have one more question for you. And this is coming in the form of a recording. Hi, my name is Jacob. My question is, do teenagers like playing with Hot Wheels? Oh, and I live in California and I'm seven years old. Yes. I enjoy Hot Wheels. Yes. Me personally, no. If a kid went up to me and was like, do you want to play Hot Wheels? I would be so excited. I'm a kid at heart, so I'm always going to say yes to Hot Wheels and toys because growing up, I legit had every toy I wanted. So if I played Hot Wheels now, I'd be a lot less stressed in high school. So I might have to take him, I might have to do that again and stop playing Hot Wheels. Well, Molly, Quincy, and Mason, thank you so much for coming in and for sharing your advice and thoughts with all of our callers. Thank, thank you, you for having you. us. Okay, before we go, I have some advice for you. And that is to talk to some teenagers. 
Like seriously, guys, teens are the best people to talk to. Like if I'm at a party and I see some teenagers, those are the people I want to talk to. I just love the latest words they're using. I love hearing about the ways they're getting into trouble. I love hearing about what they think about what's going on in the world. They always seem to see something that my grown-up brain has missed. So next time you're at a party and you're bored of talking about what you do for a living or your neighbor's renovations, see if you can find a teen and just ask them anything. You'll probably get an answer you weren't expecting. This episode was produced by me, Hillary Frank, with Jackie Sajiko and Elizabeth Nakano. We are edited by Peter Clowney, whose teens are always full of insights. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Andrea Kristen's daughter. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Antonia Acatunde, Amory Baldonado, Reka Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next week on The Longest Shortest Time, writer and actor John Hodgman. My role was a guy who kept pregnant women, you know, prisoner in his basement and would take their babies and then sell them. They didn't even ask me to audition. They knew I was the right guy for this role. John will tell us about becoming minorly famous for playing creeps and the impact that his fame has had on his family. You do not want to miss this episode. Seriously, it is one of my favorites. It is super funny and super deep, kind of like John. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And Groovy is coming back a little bit, which is like weird. That is and weird. unexpected. <laughs> I'm learning so much right now. <laughs> <laughs>